Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. You see, unless you invite Jesus into your picture, nothing will ever change. The answer is Jesus. You see, some of you are there and You wonder if it can happen. Can your life change? Yes. But if Jesus is not a part of your life, it will either stay exactly like it is or get worse. Nothing will ever change without Jesus. This life is full of ups and downs. That's what happens when you live in a fallen world. That's what happens when you deal with the flesh. Pastor Mark will remind us today that there will be times where we're thriving on the mountaintops, and there will also be times when we're struggling in the valleys. But as we'll learn today, God can use us no matter where we're at. He'll also share with us that it's often during our times in the valleys when we grow and mature in our walk. Those are the times when we truly learn what it means to trust in God and lean on His understanding. It's where we learn that he's in control and we are not. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 2, for part one of our message entitled, Life in the Valley. come to these verses in Mark, we're talking this morning about life in the valley. Jesus and his three of his 12 disciples went up to the mountain, Mount Harad, and God pulled back the curtain of heaven just for a moment to have a glimpse of what heaven would look like. And Jesus was transfigured before the three disciples, and Moses and Elijah appeared, you remember, and they began talking. Of course, they'd been dead for many years, and This showed us that heaven was real, and there is no such thing as dying and you just lay in the ground. There is an eternity. And this morning, these three disciples and Jesus are coming down, verse 9 says, from the mountain. And they're now in the valley. By the way, that's where we live, in the valley. This morning, we're going to pull back the curtain just for a moment, and we're going to see another kingdom. It's called the kingdom of Satan. And the result... Hell. The first point I have for you to, to share with you this morning, if you're taking notes, is discipleship is tested in the valleys of life. We don't only live on the mountaintops. We don't only live where everything is going perfect and everybody said, Amen. We live in the difficult times and we're going to see that our walk with Jesus Christ is tested in the valleys. Let's look at verse 14. And when they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus basically asked, well, what are you arguing about? So Jesus comes down and he finds a heated discussion. That's just the way it is in the valley. A discussion between a crowd in general, some scribes, the Jewish religious leaders, and 
nine of his disciples of the twelve that he had left when they went up to the mountain. You see, they've come down to where real life is, where you live, where I live. Most of our life is spent in the valley, not on the mountaintop. It's found, and you know this morning, that Christians live with others just as well as anybody else. We're all alike. We live in a place where we find disappointments, failures, hurts, confusions, suffering disasters, struggles, and arguments, as we see here. Now, the good news this morning is even though we live in the valley, a Christian can learn to live victorious in the valleys of life. And we'll see Jesus teaching that. The second point this morning is the kingdom of Satan is real. Verse 17, a man in the crowd answered. So nobody answered Jesus' question, but this man answers. Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So this is a picture of the opposing kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. Now let's do a little review. In the kingdom of God, who rules? You did good. Now here's a real tough one. In the kingdom of Satan, who rules? So we have two opposing kingdoms. In the kingdom of God, God rules. In the kingdom of Satan, Satan rules. And you get a picture, a snapshot of how he rules. Now, keep your finger there in Mark and turn back to John chapter 10, verse 10. We live in Satan's kingdom today. Satan's place of rule is on this earth in the heavenlies as far as we can see the heavenlies that we see here. He is the prince and power of the air. Satan's dominion, his place of rulership is where you live. It's a place where you have your feet this morning. The world we live in is Satan's dominion. Now, Jesus is going to come back and change all that at the end of the tribulation period when he sets up the thousand-year millennial reign. But until we get to that place, this is the place where Satan rules. Now, this verse in John 10.10 10 is a very simple verse. Most of you even know it by heart, but I just want to reflect on it for a moment because you need to understand, and if you haven't done this, a good place to write in your little place in your Bible, and it's okay to write in your Bible, by the way. Some of you, I know, question that like it's holy or whatever. It's holy, sure, but it's to be used, so write in it. You'll see the purpose of both kingdoms in this verse, simply. So the purpose of the kingdom of Satan where Satan rules. What is his purpose? What is the outcome? How is, what is his mode of operation? Let's look at it. Verse 10, first part. It says, the thief, or Satan, comes, and notice this, only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the mode of operation of the kingdom of Satan. Now, the world in general laughs and downplays and any kind of talk about Satan or demons and spiritual warfare. They say, you don't really believe in that kind of stuff, do you? You don't believe that, I mean, come on, Mark, you said you're going to open the window and take a look at hell, what hell's going to be like, and you don't really believe in that, do you? Yes. You see, but the world laughs at this. This verse says that Satan has come to steal 
and to kill and to destroy. The kingdom of Satan is real. We live in it every day of our life. It has come to rob us of the things that God wants. This is a picture we see this morning of this man with his son. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that in your life, as you look around the world today, Satan is still stealing and robbing from people. Look at the marriages that are being destroyed. The kids, the high school kids that are committing suicide, the drugs, the alcohol, all of these things are a picture of the first part of this verse. Many of you remember this. I mean, and you have to think about this very seriously this morning. If you are part of the kingdom of Satan, which means you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why would you want to be part of a kingdom that says the purpose of the kingdom is to steal and to kill and to destroy? I mean, can you imagine, let's go over to Disney World and we take the Disney World sign up, we put up here the kingdom of Satan, come on in and be killed and stolen and destroyed. You think it'd be big lines? But there's big lines today in the kingdom of Satan, aren't there? Why? Some of you used to be in those lines. You used to go out on Saturday night and have a good time, you remember? And then around 2 a.m. you started a different time. You looked at the bottom of the toilet for the next four hours. <laughs> Barf City. You, how many remember those days? Come on, be honest. You remember those days. Oh, let's go out next week and have another good time of being destroyed. Toilet liquors. I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> Come and have fun with me. We're crazy, aren't we? What's wrong with us? You know what's wrong? Because the Bible says that Satan has blinded the eyes of those in his kingdom. It makes sense to them. And if you would, if you would sit them down, if they could really think, they'd say, this is stupid. Can you imagine shooting up drugs and say, this is good? Can you imagine having prostitution and being part of that and getting AIDS? This is good. This is a good lifestyle. No, it isn't a good lifestyle. Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. Some of you are going through marriages like they're disposable. And you're destroying your life. And you go, this is good. No, it isn't good. And this is what the kingdom of Satan is all about. But he's not only a blinder, he's the great deceiver. So while you're barfing in there, you're going, I'm going to do it next weekend again. I'm going to spend my hard-earned money to look at the bottom of a toilet. This makes sense. It doesn't make sense, does it? And those of you that have come to the Lord now go, why in the world did I do that? But then it made sense because you were blinded. Now the second half of this verse is good news because it tells us that the other kingdom has another outcome and another purpose. Let's look at it. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So Jesus said there is a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom, there's life and there's abundance and there's freedom and there's joy and there's peace. Now here's the father. Let's take a look at our back in the book of Mark. Let's turn back to chapter 9. Here's a father. By the way, the mother's probably home and probably thinking, you know, I don't know where to go. My son, there's been no help all his life. And the father's come. And the fathers come, let's walk, let's put ourselves in that steps. If you're a parent this morning, you come with your father and you brought your boy who is helpless. He can't speak, he's epileptic. But not only that, the whole purpose, the whole reason for this, it's caused by a demon. He's possessed by a demon. 
Some of you already said, well, I don't believe in that. That's your problem. The world of Satan is real. By the way, we don't see a lot of demonology in our current United States. We see much more in other foreign countries. I believe that's because at one time we were a nation that served God. By the way, we don't serve God anymore here. This is not a Christian nation anymore. So we're going to see more and more, I believe, of the satanic influence in this country. So you need to pay attention to what Jesus is teaching us this morning. So here's a father with a diseased son. The disease caused in this particular case by demons. Is every disease caused by demons? Absolutely not. Plenty of the epilepsy and things like that are organic. But this is a different case. So he's brought his son and he's looking for help. Wouldn't you be? And he had three groups of people. The first group of people is the crowd. What does the crowd have to offer somebody who has spiritual problems? Zero. Now we try to offer books. The world tries to offer psychology. The crowd is a picture of the world. Tries to offer psychology. You know, books, I'm okay, you're okay. How do they get to the top? By walking over people, whatever. That's the way our world thinks. It's selfish. So the world has nothing to offer somebody who has a spiritual problem. You need to understand that. The Jews, at this particular time, didn't believe in all of these things, and certainly they didn't believe in Jesus, they didn't believe in God. So this father comes, and the world has nothing to offer this father, and the church has nothing to offer the father. Isn't that a sad thing, that a church has no hope for somebody who's looking for hope? Do you know, Timothy said in the last days, many of our churches would have a form of godliness, but deny the power. I'm glad today the power of God is still real. And if you're here with a problem, we've got the solution for you today. It's not this church. It's Jesus Christ. But much of the world today is going through form in the church. There is no power. In fact, their churches today don't believe God's power is even necessary. They need to open their eyes. I'm glad we have God's power. So the world failed the Father. The church failed the Father. But now we come to the nine disciples. Yes. And what did the nine disciples do? They failed also. So into this, there's a picture. Jesus looks at this, and he looks at the Father, and they've been arguing. They've probably been arguing among themselves, why have you failed? Why didn't anybody here help this poor father with this son? What's the deal? Why did nobody make a difference? And that brings us to our third point, which is this. Unbelief destroys faith. Unbelief destroys faith. Look at verse 19 back in Mark. Jesus responds to this group and he says this, very important three words. Oh, unbelieving generation. You see, Jesus is disappointed. He's exasperated. Now listen to these words. Unbelief destroys faith. Think about this. And he says this, oh, unbelieving what? Generation. And listen up to this, parents and grandparents. You see, it doesn't take but a generation of parents who don't raise their kids believing in God and in Jesus Christ. Then these children move out, and they raise their children. Now, how do they raise their children? Just like they were raised. And then their children go, 
And before long, in a span of a hundred years, we have generations that have zero belief in God. You think that could ever happen to this country? We're there. Can you imagine what the next generation is going to be like? That's why I'm praying for God to come. You say, well, that couldn't happen. Study the Old Testament. It's exactly what happened. And his father didn't serve God, and his father didn't serve God, and his father didn't serve God. And finally, God brought judgment. They went off into bondage, and they had to bring prophets to come and say, Get right with God! It's been hundreds of years till you serve God. Do you know we're there today? But the positive of that is this. On Mother's Day, you're here. Mothers and dad, live for Jesus Christ. Don't just talk about it. Live it. You won't be perfect, but live it. Because what you'll pass on to your son and daughter is life. Then they'll pass that on to their son and daughter is life. I'm glad as I talk to my kids and as we talk this week that they're serving God, that they married spouses. Thank God. Not because of us, just God's grace that they married spouses that are serving God. And when their kids are being raised now, they're being raised to serve God. Praise God, because that's what we need generations of. Not unbelieving, but believing children. Now, sometimes between leaving home and getting there, it's tough for kids. They, they go their own way, don't they? So Jesus says, I hate unbelief. Why does he say that? We know God hates sin, but Jesus hates unbelief. Why? Because the scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he looks at the situation, Jesus says, and he says, the reason this boy has not been changed is because of a lack of one thing, faith. Faith. That's the reason this son is left just like he is. So Jesus looks at the religious Jews and he goes, that doesn't surprise me. I wouldn't expect you to have faith. Isn't that a shame? Then he looks at the world and goes, well, the world doesn't even believe in me. I mean, do you know people today, when you talk about this, they go, you mean you're basing your life on that? Are you crazy? Yes, we are. We're basing our whole eternity on this because this says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not. That's why we base it on it. So the world didn't surprise Jesus. The Jewish rabbis didn't surprise him. He knew they were faithless. But who was he shocked at? The nine disciples. Why? Why would Jesus look at the nine disciples and say, Oh, unbelieving generation. You guys have no faith. Because remember earlier on in the book of Mark, remember this? Jesus said, Okay, trial run. You have my authority. And in my name, go on out now among the people in the valleys and cast out demons and heal the sick. Go ahead and do it. Did they do it? They went out. What kind of result did the disciples have? They had great results. All kinds of demons. They came back to Jesus and went, hey, A on our report card. This was good. We went out. Even the demons obeyed us. This was wonderful. So Jesus is looking at these nine and going, that was then. You still have the authority. What happened? And he says to them, faithless people. Well, what does that mean? What is faith? What is Jesus trying to say to these disciples? You have to get the picture of what's happening. The next point is this. Look at verse 9 as it goes along. He says something very important that speaks to my heart this morning. He says this to his disciples, basically. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
See, Jesus knew this that the disciples still didn't get. They were about here to the cross in time. You see, it wasn't long before Jesus was going to the cross. And when he went to the cross, these 12 guys on this side of the cross were going to do what? Take Christianity to the whole world. So he's over there, and he's looking at this failure, and he's going, Uh-oh, I don't have long. And he's saying to the disciples who are learners under discipline, You're doing okay, you're learning. But here's what he's saying in words that we could understand this morning. Are you learning fast enough? You see, what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples is, Hey, catch on soon. Over here when you're young, you're here now, I'm pretty soon I'm leaving. Catch on. Be men of faith, because your whole life is going to depend on a walk of faith. Get it now. As you look at your life this morning, maybe you can ask yourself the same thing. Are you and I learning fast enough? The next point is this. Faith in Jesus is necessary. We have here a group of three different groups. The first is the world in general, people. Then who else do we have? Jewish rabbis, which is a picture of the, the church. And we have the world. And who else do we have? Nine disciples, all failed. And we have a picture of a father with his son that has been convulsing. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Those three groups failed. Here's a father with a son who's there. If Jesus doesn't come, you can take a snapshot of that and blow it up and put it in the wall because nothing is ever going to change in that father and son's life. You see, unless you invite Jesus into your picture, nothing will ever change. The answer is Jesus. You see, some of you are there and you wonder if it can happen. Can your life change? Yes. But if Jesus is not a part of your life, it will either stay exactly like it is or get worse. Nothing will ever change without Jesus. So Jesus says, basically, you're a faithless generation. Let me give you a definition of faith quickly. It's this. Faith is the confidence that what God has said will indeed happen. Faith is the confidence that what God has said will indeed happen. Do you know that when you come to accept Jesus Christ into your life, many people have talked to me through the years and they said this, well, Pastor Mark, as you talk and I see that there's a kingdom of God and I want to be part of it and I want to accept Jesus Christ, I want to believe in the Bible, but I just have a hard time sometimes believing that and I don't know if I can take that step. Well, Ephesians says, for by grace are you saved through Faith, and that faith in itself is a gift from who? From God. So here's what you want to do. If you'll be honest, whenever you come to that place where you're ready to accept Jesus Christ into your life, just say this, God, I want to believe. I want to believe. And you'll find yourself on the other side of the cross in God's kingdom. How many remember that? What we learned in today's message might sound simple. It might sound cliche, but it's true. Life is best lived when we put our faith in Jesus. You see, as long as we have faith in Jesus, as long as we're trusting in Him, it doesn't matter where we're at in life. 
because he will see to it that our needs are met. And whether we're in the valley or on the mountaintop, he can give us true peace that surpasses all understanding. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, we'll be reminded that there's nothing our Creator can't do. All things are possible through Him. So when we're struggling, when we're in a time of doubt, don't be afraid. Remember who your Heavenly Father is. He is powerful and mighty. He wants to extend His life-changing grace to you. It can empower you to do what's pleasing in His sight. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 